Hi everyone, and welcome to Philosophy Rekindled with our focus book, the 1920 published version of Tertium Organum by P.D. Spensky. Today we are discussing Chapter 17. This is Part 3. You will find the audio version of this chapter as an additional audio to this podcast, and you'll also find additional information on our website, philosophyrekindled.com. Today my guest is Peter Lancet, hypnotherapist, author and classic scholar. And I'm Alice Flanagan, fiction author, computer programmer and podcaster. Thanks so much for joining us and welcome Pete. So Pete, welcome to the final instalment of Chapter 17. How has your week been? Dreadful. Okay. Well, you asked and uh, you, <laughs> I just told you. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm, I'm hoping next week's better for you then. <laughs> let's, let's get on with Tertium. See yeah. if, see if uh, Spensky delights you this week. <laughs> well, we'll see. Sorry, I'm being very naughty. So we're up to the part where we've just finished talking about the three categories of man. In the modern world, we'll know mind, body, soul, mind, body, spirit. Yes. Particularly, they'll know. So spirit, soul, mind, body. But let's move, but moving on. Yes, we're moving on. So what Aspensky takes from this is he says that man's focus is usually on the immediate things, the things that they, that, that they want in the immediate, like I wish to eat, I wish to read a newspaper, I wait for a letter. So they're they're focusing a very narrow beam on the immediate. Mm. And that's so changeable. Yeah, yeah. And and they very rarely focus on coordination of their thoughts and feelings and words and actions. So that they very rarely go out of the that immediate to the thinking about uh, the coordination of you know these thoughts that are coming in, how they're making them feel, what what it, where the guidance is. So they're not attuning with anything other than the body, basically. And so I guess what I'm saying, and what I what I'd like to um, explore is, is Spensky saying that we focus on the basic wants and needs and don't associate the connection between thought, feeling, words, and actions. Like, is he basically saying we're robotic? We definitely have been conditioned to be robotic. We've been conditioned to separate the conscious mind from everything else. The the little bit that he gives in my version of the book, this analogy of the dark town at night where there's somebody walking around with a lantern and all that the lantern does is light up this tiny little area immediately around the carrier and the rest of the town is unknown in total darkness. And... And so where that little lantern's light falls, that's the focus at that moment. You turn around and the lantern light falls on somewhere else. The bit that you were just looking at suddenly goes back into the darkness and you're now focused on that. Um, conscious mind stuff uh, is, you know, is very mental. And we do know, this isn't uh, any kind of supposition, that it can only handle around seven pieces of information at any one time. So... Your narrow, your focus is so narrow that you're only focusing on three aspects of your experience, you know, seven aspects of your experience at any given moment. And even then, seven is extreme. You know, that, that, that that's when something's going on <laughs> the, the, that you've got to give your attention to. So um, usually it's one or two, or, you know, maybe three. So, you, you know, we're not focusing on anything else. I like the analogy of the town. I like that too. And he, he kind of expands that a little bit by saying the fact that we've moved the, the torch from place to place. We've got this continuous motion going on, but the motion is in us. It's mm. not actually happening outside. It's only because we're basically shining the torch. Yeah, the, uh, um, each little circle represents an eye living its own life. And I think that's the important bit. The little focus of attention is living its own life. It comes in and it goes. It's brilliant because I'm not interested in this motion stuff. You can't prove it. You can't disprove it. You can actually get people to understand this idea that what you're focusing on now is exactly your life right at this moment. Um, something happens, I'll tell you what, you're driving your car and somebody crashes into the back of you. Believe me, your focus of attention has turned. You're a different eye at that point. You were, you were the serene eye going about your business, driving around the road, looking forward to getting to your destination. Bang, somebody hits you at the back. Suddenly you're a different eye. 
for some people. It will be a very angry eye. Some people will be a very shocked and startled eye. Some people will break down in tears. But there'll be you'll be a different person. You'll be having your personality will be having a totally different experience at that time. It will be totally separate, which is a word I like, from the one that was serene and driving down the road before. And that's what he's saying here. And I like that. I'm I'm not wow. interested I'm not so much interested because he hasn't proved it to me. His idea of what constitutes motion and how, how he thinks that he proved it in those early chapters, well, he didn't for me, and he still hasn't. So, yeah. Uh, so I'd rather talk about things that I can understand and that, and that most people will be able to get a handle on. Yeah, yeah and I think so. that's why the torch analogy is good, because you can see that everything is actually existing in the town. The town mm. actually exists. And everything in that town is happening uh, outside of where your torch is shining as much as where your torch is shining. But mm. for you, where your torch shines is the only thing that you can see. That is yeah. existing. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So you're, you're compartmentalising it. And that is his point. He says we, we already know intellectually that, that everything is existing at the same time and and it's only that it seems to us yeah, yeah. because of our focus, because where we focus. That, that things are happening in different at different points in time, and then I think the torch analogy is exactly that. When I shine my torch, that's now. When I move it, that's in the past, and I shine it on something else, that's now the now. It's it's it, you know it's that. Mm. And you know, again, he's 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 rounding up things he, he's talked about before. We're not we're not doing mm. anything new here. He's just he's just sort of corralling it all into one place. It's sort of analogous to the eternal now. It's just where our consciousness is, is what yeah, we see. It's that little focus of attention. We have shifting focuses of attention. I'm on, I was interested in this idea of growth, which is, again, something that maybe um, we could hook onto. So as we, um, when we look at growth, I mean, the, a, a flower growing in a flower bed, every aspect yep. of that flower exists simultaneously from the seed to the germination, to it poking its first little green shoot through the soil, to it growing, to the flower erupting, all exist at the same time. They do. Yeah. We, but we, we are aware of growth because, yeah, because we, we don't sit there focusing on the whole flower. We don't see it from every angle. Uh, what we do is we walk past it one day and we say, oh, that, that little green shoot's just come up. And then maybe a couple of days later we walk past Oh, isn't it growing well? It's it's flourishing. I can't wait for that flower, the flower to open. And then a few weeks later, the flowers open. Oh, isn't that lovely? All the flowers are open. Fabulous. And we see them as separate things. We see the, we see this idea of time passing because we only focus on the flower at one point at any given time. So we see becoming rather than being. Okay. So he's saying that that the emotion growth, as as you just pointed out, is becoming which is going on all around us in the world, is no more real than the motion of a house which we are riding by or the motion of trees and fields relative to the windows of a rapidly moving carriage car where they appear to be moving. So are you saying as we've I've got, got past... Hang on, hang on. See, this is, this is an analogy I, I don't agree with. You're quoting him, but I don't agree with it. I've been yeah. on trains all my life, since I was little, very little, and I go on trains now. I never, ever ever have the conception when I look out of the window that the fields are moving. We can now argue relativity, we can argue whatever you want, but I've never once felt that the that, and I've never even felt that the appearance that these fields outside and, and anything outside the train is moving. I know that it's me on the train that's moving past them. So I don't like the analogy. Yeah, look, I know what you're saying, you, but you can imagine yeah, but I don't need to, do I? Yeah, but if I have to imagine it, then it's a it's a poor analogy. It's not that I I do not go through my life imagining that those houses are moving. I I still see them as static ones. He's saying that they're immobile, so he's going to have to come up with a better better view than that to make me dis disassociate from reality. Because my reality is that the house is still, that the fields are still. You know, when I go past them, I don't imagine that they've they've moved behind me. They are in re, in re, in relation to where I am. They are behind, but I don't imagine that they've moved behind me at the same time that I was moving in front of them. I believe that they're still, and I'm moving, 
and and I have that concept. And if I didn't have that concept, by the way, I would have ze I would have to be in a mental asylum because I would have no experience in this three D world that I could actually work with. Yeah, look, I, I I see your point. I think Spensky would argue potentially that it's because your uh, consciousness is, has adjusted it to to know that this is really what's happening and that's that's basically what all our you know our subconscious learning to drive a car you know it becomes a subconscious uh thing that you don't have to focus on similarly we you know we've yeah, learned our okay. bodies well, have adjusted to that we'll we'll use it as the illusion of motion we yeah okay yeah the illusion of motion is good but i i'd just like to go back to this motion of growth uh, okay so can we just have a look at little look at that some more so if we're saying that everything is happening at the same time, so that that plant is seedling, it is a seed, it is a plant, it is a flower, all at no, once. No, 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 stop, I'm stopping you because that very word is, it takes us away from what's, what's actually being said. Nobody's saying that, that anything is happening, it exists. If there's an ing, <laughs> it involves time. What we're saying is that it's not happening at the same time, we're saying that it exists at the same time. Happening involves motion. What we're arguing is the case for a static existence. Okay. Yeah. Yep. No, I'll, I'll grant you that. So, in reality, in you know, outside of time, in reality, that flower is at the same time a seed, a flower, a half grown yeah. plant. It's all those and, things at the same time. And decaying, and also decaying, and decaying. Oh, yes, yeah. and becoming a new seed, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Yeah. So he's saying that, uh, and. I, I'm wondering what the point is. is. Is the point that we only notice it in in stages, and that's why we think that it is always becoming, it is always mm. growing. Well, that's why I said, look, you could sit and watch it. You, you know, you could sit there for day after day after day, never sleeping, watching it. Uh, but we don't, do we? Um, normally, we we pass it by once a day, even if you were a gardener tending to that flower. You wouldn't sit looking at it. You'd go off and tend to something else. And then you'd come back a few days later. Oh, yeah, you're doing really well. And, yeah, and you only notice that change. It's change over time. Yeah. Where, whereas what we're saying is that there is no time. So therefore, um, all stages of the flower should exist at the same, you know, simultaneously. Yeah. Um, even that word simultaneously has a, has a time connotation. You can't get away from time in the language, but never mind. But that's that's what that's what we're saying with the, the growing. It says like so. It's a concept that we we don't grasp in the in mm. the in the mind in the conscious mind. So um, if we were to grasp it, we would have to expand our apparatus of observing it potentially. And I think that's what uh, Spensky's moving on to when he quotes Hinton. Well, he does say. Should this motion stop, all the eyes simultaneously enter the focus of receptivity. Should the light so expand as to illumine all at once, that which is usually lighted bit by bit and gradually, and could a man grasp simultaneously by his own reason all that ever entered or will enter his receptivity and all that which is never clearly illumined by thought, then would a man behold himself in the midst of an immobile universe. Because it would. You'd see everything all at once, at the same time. And you'll find that the, the universe is static. No waves, no energy, just static. And that's what he said. So, so what's the thing? Because now we talk about the universe being this continuum of energy. But clearly it isn't. It can't be. Under, uh, if that's true, if that's true, it cannot be energy. What it is, we don't know. I know not what. But it can't be that. Because energy absolutely 100% means motion energy described as a wave and that means motion <laughs> you know yeah well and and it's transformation which is motion like you know from mm. latent yeah. to uh, some mm. sort of combustion or whatever it's 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 all mm -hmm. transformation but if everything is stationary then what then these things that we observe as motion these things of converting energy from latent to not latent um, that's just another way of observing. Latent time. to kinetic, uh, basically, it's potential potential energy then kinetic energy. So if I'm if I'm holding a rock in my hand, the potential energy of that rock is the energy of the rock falling to the ground under the force of gravity. Once I let go, 
of the rock, that potential energy is converted to the kinetic energy of the rock falling. So that that's usually the sequence of of energetic states, and then it will then it of course will achieve potential again when it hits the ground. When it yes, and if we if we look at that rock from the stationary universe point of view, that rock is stationary and moving. Well, it's not, all the different positions at the same time. It's like ah, it's yeah, mind, but it's not moving. It's, it's, That's the thing. <laughs> a mind bender. Yeah, but it's it's in this position. It's in this position. It's in this position. But it's all we, at the same time. Yeah, and and you know, he they talk about seeing it with a different eye. If we saw it with, you know, from a million perspectives, if we could see it from every angle, every facet, simultaneously, we we would see it in that way. So I'm going to pose a question here that isn't necessarily um, necessarily something Spensky touches on in this chapter but okay so say say we got this great understanding that the universe was stationary and, and we expanded our understanding of the universe our consciousness our perception of it and saw that what use is that to us having this 3d experience what can well, we do with that well you could first first of all, you could throw away the fear of death. You could. I'm struggling now to find any other useful purpose. I'm wondering if fear, fear 100%, because, you know, the fear of something is something that hasn't happened yet. Like, I worry maybe oh, that tomorrow might rain, for example. But if you could see everything, you'd kind of know, well, it's raining, it's not raining, no. it doesn't. From my three, yeah, yeah. From my three D experience, um, it would be crap. It would turn the, the my human three D experience would become utter rubbish. It would almost be like seeing the shadow puppet master behind the shadow screen, and then realizing that it wasn't entertaining anymore. <laughs> it's like... Yeah, seriously, I I think it would be rubbish. I think there's a reason why we don't we don't see it that way while we're having this experience. I think it would be utter rubbish. You know when you go on these uh, roller coasters? I do. You know you're not going to die. Yes, I'm not I, sure I whether some people be, do. Be some honest, people do. Yeah, I can't, I, can't, I can't bear them. But the point is, the reason I can't bear them is because they, they, they go too fast and I am frightened yeah. that I'm going to fly out and splat, right? But the people who really enjoy them, no, they're not going to fly out and go splat. And they fully immerse themselves into that feeling of the fear of going down very fast, no, steep hill. Part of it is the fear that you might fly out of it, that this is dangerous. It is. Is that right? Because that's what that's what mm. stops me going on the roller coaster. That That fear is too much, too much to bear. Without, without the danger... Without the danger, there is no thrill. There is absolutely no thrill. You you just sit in it and it goes up and down. Blah 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 blah. Job done. It really. If if there is no, if there isn't that factor, in the, whether it's in the subconscious or in the conscious mind, but that factor, my God, we shouldn't be going this fast. Are we going downhill? But what if it tips over? What if it? If that isn't there, okay, that's interesting. So. So the people like you who go on the roller coasters go on it to experience the fear. Well, the bit of the I, fear, at least. Yeah, I don't. That's not what I think of when I go on, but I am a thrill seeker. Mm -hmm. So you know, I do that. That free falling feeling that I associate with, I can't bear it. You go, wow! Oh, it might be all terrible, but wow, what what a ride! Yeah, that's it. That's it. It's the terrifying nature of it. Why do you think that they started making them things that people understand? It's no longer just a roller coaster in many of these theme parks. You have Space Mountain. You have the Indiana Jones ride, you know, from the Temple of Doom when they were going down that in the mining carriage and that. There's yeah. rides like that. Pirates of the Caribbean rides. There's, there's, there's rides that people can then relate to. And then they associate yeah. the danger of what they saw. That, that builds the fear. Uh, it's it, yeah, I mean, yeah. People people do think that they're going to die. So, can I draw the analogy of that to say, from our our three D experience, forget the roller coaster, but if yeah. we looked at our three D experience, like getting on the roller coaster, that aspect mm. of fear gives us something of a thrill, like the fear of 
what's going to happen tomorrow. The not knowing, I should say. Okay. The, basically, the not knowing. Okay. Have you ever read The Great Gatsby? Yes. Have you ever read Brideshead Revisited or or things like that? Yeah. Okay. The reason that I'm mentioning this is, this is what happens when there is no uncertainty in your life. Your life becomes day after jaded day of the same old thing. You've got loads of money. You don't have to worry about anything. What the hell do I do now? There comes a point when you are a rock star. I've read lots of biographies because I'm interested. Where smashing hotels and things... I mean, they don't do it anymore because we live in a really controlled society. But in the 1970s, they did. And the late 60s. The the idea is that, you know, you can go wild. You've got the money to pay for it. Peter Grant from Led Zeppelin used to carry like $200,000 with him. And they would just pay cash for the damages to hotel rooms. And that was it. The story goes that hotels loved Led Zeppelin to come in because they would claim on the insurance and Peter Grant would pay cash. So they they get a double whammy. But the point being, that gets to the point where even that becomes jaded. You you can no longer do it. It's like, oh, what is there? And there are plenty of um, recorded instances of the jaded, rich rock star. What do I do now? So this 3D experience needs the uncertainty. Needs. Mm. To to make it, to make, needs the, the, Things that inspire you to change. People have um, what they consider to be rewarding existences um, while living lives that somebody like me would consider to be so dull as that I'd want to kill myself. Can you imagine? Um, For example, and you know, I'm not going to make any apologies. The idea of being an accountant. Oh my. God, would I ever choose to be an accountant? I would rather die. But for some, pe- but for some people, you know, that's their that's their existence. There is something beyond the static reality of existence that we've just been discussing. That even that, even that amount of motion is is excitement enough for some people. For people like me, never in a million years. I need to go scuba diving, surfing. Jumping out of planes, going on roller coasters. I've done all of those. Where things. someone like me would say, no, we're not interested in those things. However, if I go out to my garden and see a, a, a small amount of growth in some of my plants, I'm yeah. thrilled. So, yeah, that's right. You know, it's a, but it's, it's, I guess it's the uncertainty. It's, it's still to me the uncertainty when I go out to the garden, I don't know what I'm going to find that day. It could have been eaten yeah. by moths overnight totally uh, so it's the thrill of going look success yeah i agree that's why i was saying it happens in different degrees i mean i use extreme examples yeah. but um however a lot of people and i mean a lot of people go through these dull ordinary lives and i mean that from my point of view they are dull and from their point of view it's dull because i know that they have this longing i wish there was something different but I'm on the I'm on the treadmill now, and I've got kids to consider. I've got a mortgage, you know, and they know that they're unfulfilled. I don't think this is contentious. There's a whole industry built around trying to serve these people who feel unfulfilled. It's billion dollar industry, and and by the way, the industry is a fake because very few of them become fulfilled by clicking into the Facebook ad or whatever that they've seen. But but it, yeah. it it is there. It is a very real thing, this sense of unfulfillment, because they are living lives where they know that they could stand more excitement, but they tell themselves that they have no opportunity to experience it. So instead of opening up to the unknown, they've closed themselves off from the unknown, and that very I don't blame very... them for this. They've been they've been programmed since pre birth to do it. They've lived in a. They've they've been born unluckily into a society where the expectation of you is very very fixed. People break out of it, but not many. So, from what Aspensky's basically saying is that you lock yourself into these uh, existence the way you see the world. You you shine your torch. You're in charge of where you shine your torch, and uh, if you if you get yourself a torch that has a wider 
being, yeah, why the being? stronger yeah, you'll being, see more. you'll see more. And then you've got more choices because mm. you know what you can choose. It's very yeah. hard to choose something if you don't even know it's on offer. That's and true. I think that's that's going to be the advantage of uh, expanding the apparatus that, that sees what's available. And that's where it can be of use in this 3D mm. in Absolutely. terms of what choices you have. Well, yeah. So let's have a look at what Hinton has to say. Yeah, C.H. Hinton very well says, in regard to beings of other sections of the world, and then he gives the quote. And the quote is long. It's yes, no, I'm not going. I'm going to. I'm going to paraphrase it. Um, yeah. What it basically says is that uh, in order to tap into this, this other other sections of the world, you must develop the instrument so you can see. Like a telescope is an instrument to study the stars. You need to develop your instrument of perceiving the world so that it sees something greater than what okay. than what you focus on. I'm going to be contentious. What a surprise. What a surprise. <laughs> I'm going to suggest that this isn't this isn't and shouldn't be aspiration because supposing you broaden the beam and suddenly you can see more of the reality of the world and suddenly you realise that nothing moves, nothing's static, so what's the purpose? What's the point of going thrill seeking? Doesn't matter, does it? You lose the fear of you lose the fear of death, you lose the thrill of everything. What's the point? What's the point in me going to work as a bloody accountant all day, boring myself stupid, and then dying at some point, having achieved accountancy, when I know that when I do die, what a waste of time it was anyway, because we live in a static existence. The, the reality is static. I don't want to see that. Do I want to see that? Do I want to have experience of that? The thing, do I want to see the very thing that that makes me understand that everything I do is worthless? Every ambition is worthless. I look at it a little differently. Oh, good. Because Tell I me. wouldn't. Yes, because I wouldn't judge what I do as worthless, even if I could see that that it was static, because I'm here to experience. So that's fine by me. I'm here to experience. So. Uh, well, in my opinion. So if I'm having an experience that I'm enjoying, like could be very boring. I could be like, you know, I'm a computer programmer. I could be writing a, I could be writing a program. For some people, that'd be deathly boring. But I get a thrill out of it because I do. But if I could see beyond, I possibly wouldn't take things so seriously. I would possibly say it doesn't matter. So therefore I take more risk because it doesn't matter. The reason I think things matter and I have to um, confine myself in a certain manner of speaking, you know, the way I, I, I go about my business is because I'm frightened that if I don't, then uh -huh. then everything will fall fall apart. But if I could if I could honestly know that it doesn't matter what you did while you're down here, it's all okay because it really doesn't matter then I think I'd probably be braver and I'd probably go out and do more stuff and I'd probably, I'd probably, uh, you know, give, give more things a go. That's what I think. Well, well, millions of people get sold onto that. That's where all this ascension living comes from. Eckhart Tolle's, you know, uh, power of now, which I do love and, and so on. And, pe and I mean, well, basically millions of copies of, Various of these books have been sold and then people are there meditating like crazy, you know, to, to get this third eye opening and all the rest of it. And I'm looking at that and I'm thinking, wow, somebody has just directed your focus right there. I don't find them taking more risks and having a more exciting life. I, I find that I find quite the opposite. I think for everybody that does come to a realization that wow nothing matters so therefore i can go you know parachuting or whatever the hell and do or doing other things or I, I can i can mortgage my house 15 times and try to open a business that if it fails i've lost everything i don't see millions of people doing that what i do see is millions of people who get sold onto something that's just as dull as accountancy which is this narrow focus on ascension and raising your vibe oh my god raising your vibration if it were possible for me if i were a good enough actor that i could put more contempt into the way that i feel about that i would do it 
here now for the oh my god almighty and i see these people just focus so solidly on that that they'll never raise it what is it that you're trying to do seeing the static universe seeing the static existence seeing the beyond the universe because this is where you'd go if you got to the point of being able to see the static you would be you would be beyond the universe you would be into infinity well you just asked me what would be the point and i'm just saying so, yeah. that's the only um that's that's what it would do for me i think however having said that the fact that i could just think that it's possible does help me refocus where i where i put my worries because i really think some some of the stuff i worry about is just totally stupid in the whole scheme of things it's totally stupid um and you know to be able to put those things down and get on with having a good time, I think it's... Uh... Yeah, but you can you can have that understanding within consciousness, within conscious thought, i.e. mind stuff, without having, to That's what I'm waste saying. Half, without having to waste half of your life trying to see the static universe. Listen, it's enough for me to say, oh, that makes sense to me. That's great. And then move That's on. That's exactly what I I'm saying. I, I it's don't enough. have to... It's enough. Yeah, I don't have to sit here now raising my vibration and then going on Facebook to tell everybody that that's what I'm doing and if they're not doing that, they're not as good as me, which, by the way, is the passive-aggressive message that virtually every single one of these vibration raisers, when they post their so-called beautiful little encouraging memes, that's what they're doing. I'm already at this level that you're not. You should follow me. Oh, piss off. <laughs> You know, honestly, um, get yourself a get yourself a real life, you dope. Um, so, you know, I, I have no time for it. But I, all I'm saying is, it's it's enough. To, it's enough to know. I I think it's great. Um, when I read something like that and it resonates, yeah, yeah, that's fine. Um, but I'm not here to experience that. I will experience that when this part of my this this brief spark of my limitless existence is over i'll go back mm. to experiencing some of that and yeah, that's yeah, exactly what i was that. trying to say i'm good i'm good enough to 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 understand conceptually that that's the way it is so then i can put yeah. things aside because i know really that's doesn't but i'll never have to experience it right now because i'll be ruining my experience down here I tell you what if you were controlling humanity if your job was to control humanity you wanted them to bend to your will all the time and you created a fantastic uh, set of religions that were doing that for you and then found that people were breaking free from it so oh, we don't want to do that anymore what would what would you do you'd invent something else wouldn't you so now we have millions and increasing numbers of people who are raising their vibration and and to justify it to themselves, they have to tell everybody else about it as well. Oh my God, I'm doing oh, it, so yes. you should. So so that it validates their their miserable existence. And then and then we go a stage further, and we have the ascensionistas. They they don't just want to raise their vibration; they want to ascend out of the human experience and become the spiritual. Oh, go away! You've got the yeah. wrong train. Yeah, you you, you definitely <laughs> did. Because this this isn't the station. This isn't going to the station that you want to. That's right. And That's right. So so honestly, uh, you know, enough enough of it. It's enough for me to say, yeah, that strikes a chord with something within me. I know not what, and yeah, I feel that that's right. But I don't feel the need to go and try to find it now because that that will come, and we know that time's fake. But it will come at a point in this fake time. When I go back to it. Okay, so let's have a look at the next thing that Dostensky talks about. He's, he's basically saying that everything is a living being in essence. He's, and, he, and he quotes, this tree is a living being. The birch tree in general, i.e. the species is a living being. And the birch tree forest is also a living being. So all these living beings are parts of other living beings. The uh, Florensky um, quote is, is far better for me where he's talking about who who actually sees the soul of a forest who recognizes the unity okay so the the bit i just quoted was a prelude to the p florensky yeah uh the humanitarian roots of idealism um, Christ, that's, a, that's a book i'd pick off the shelf isn't it 
<laughs> but the Theosophical Messenger 1909 in Russian. <laughs> and I was thinking that that's what uh, that's what this what what I'm was just quoting from Bespensky. He got this concept from it that the yeah. that the consciousness okay. of all the things that we interact yeah. with we experience the the conscious the experience they're experiencing conscious wise as well as what we're experiencing. It's it's almost like we're all immersed in this one, and we shine our light on different aspects of it. But we're experiencing what others are experiencing by our focus of ours consciousness. That's what I think he's saying, but it could be wrong. I've no idea. Or all, all I all I can get from it is quite simply that most people will walk through a forest and they will see separation. They'll see this tree, this tree, this tree, that little insect, that thing there. What they really don't recognize is something greater, i.e. that the that collection makes up the forest and that the forest itself has this it's soul. A being. Yeah, the forest consisting of all of these, what we think are, are separate parts, the forest itself has this this soul and this understanding. Yeah. Now, the great part about all of this and why this is quite a useful function is that most people don't see or feel the soul of the forest, although more people do now. More people are going out into nature and seeing that sort of thing and feeling it, understanding what the ancient pagans who everybody laughs about and laughs at in the modern world did understand. It's like, you know, a stream or a pool has its own spirit, the undine or whatever, whatever kind of aquatic name you want to give to the spirit of water that a forest has its own and by the way they understood that forest x over there doesn't have the same soul as forest y over there forest y but but the really interesting part that comes next and it comes down to some kind of hierarchical system whereby the forest will be aware of all the individual consciousness consciences of all of the living beings that comprise the forest. But each individual living being might not be aware of the greater consciousness of the forest that it that it's contained within. And then he goes further on to suggest the idea then we can look at a world consciousness where the world understands every forest, every ocean, every every other individual consciousness that makes it up. In other words, it's the governing and creative force behind it. Get this? You can see where this is going? Yeah. So then we have to say that that could be the same for every star, every galaxy, and the entire universe, and there might, and whatever lies beyond a universe. So the higher up you get, the more awareness you have of lower down. But lower down, you don't typically have awareness of the greater consciousness that that governs you mm. why do you not why do you not typically have that i'm going to suggest it's because not only is it unnecessary for you to have your experience it's possibly a hindrance to your experience yeah it it would make sense that if you are busy doing what your part is you shouldn't be focused on what everyone else is doing or what other no. parts components are doing you should be focused on yours because it's it, like a, an orchestra playing if the trombone player kept on worrying about, you know, the what the other violins were doing, probably missed their cue on playing the trombone. I was going to say the only the only reason that um, a trombone player might be interested in what the violins are doing is if the violins are going to provide his cue. So what I'm saying is, yes. it's perfectly okay to be aware that you're part of a greater whole, and that the thing is. Oh. That an orchestra is an entity. It isn't individuals playing. Have you ever heard a, a, a kid's school orchestra? It's shit. If you want Sadly. an experience, yeah, <laughs> I was going to say, if you, if you haven't, then look at various episodes of The Simpsons. Well, actually, just look at the opening section of The Simpsons where they have the, the school orchestra because Lisa Simpson's in it. Just that little, in the opening credits, you'll hear it and you'll hear how the music it becomes a cacophony for for about six bars, and then it moves back onto the the opening. And it says that's because they don't know that they're a part of the whole thing. They're concentrating so much on their little bit, and it, you could have a conductor in front of them. It would be meaningless. They wouldn't even see the conductor yeah. at that point. 
So, yeah, I mean, that's the difference between knowing. But you don't have to focus on that all the time, do you? You still have to focus on your bit. Because if all you're doing in the that's orchestra right. is go, you suddenly put, you're playing your instrument and then suddenly it's like this awareness comes. I'm part of this orchestra. And like, wow. And then you do miss your cue. And then suddenly <laughs> or, it's Or being aware of the orchestra and, and saying, well, I'm part of the orchestra and I'm in tune with the orchestra. That's mm. probably not meant to be a pun, but oh, I'm yeah. in tune with the orchestra enough to know that when I hear the violins finish their piece, that's my that's when I start playing my piece and the rest of the orchestra waits for you to do your piece. And, and how about flow. Yeah, and how about this? You will get this feeling from somewhere, you know not where, that when the orchestra is playing really well, something inside you loves being within this flow part of it and con contributing yeah. to this flow um sports is a, a, a sports team would be a great example of it especially a flowing game which um football used to be it isn't now but it used to be and players will tell you you know that s some of those games where everything just clicks and it's just like the perfect game and it's like wow it feels like something different what is it that they're describing at that point it's this unknown connection with the living force that it that represents the team and, and the game and the, the, mm. the game as well that particular so, game must have well the, the game a is soul above, as well the game is above the team so the soul of the game yeah. is above the, the team and the team is and the team is looking at the individual player it's it's interesting which makes a whole lot of sense and i think you said it a couple of chapters ago that when you push something so that you've really got to make an effort and like it's like you're pushing uphill you're not mm. in the flow you you it's things manifest for you when they're easy that means you are in in the right flow and in it's the flow like, and then the zone yeah yeah it's so if the trombone player decided to really try hard to play the trombone and wanted to play their piece differently they would be out of whack with the orchestra and the orchestra yeah. would sort of push back at them and say you know, you're being an idiot. Do you think, though, like, there's a, this, this is the reason why people are auditioned for, for group events, whether it's a theatrical play or what. You've got to have the energy of the flow. Look, there are a million people that can play the trombone. Yeah, they've all been, they've all been to music school and they've all, they've all done their grades and everything. But do you fit with our orchestra? Do, do, do it's you, not just technical. Yeah, there's some there's something un, undefinable, untouchable. You've got to, You've got to make it. And we have that with football as well. Loads of times, you have a great player. The team, the the team management go out and they spend millions, tens, hundreds of millions now to buy a player. And then when the player arrives, it doesn't fit in with the team. I'll tell you, yes. tell you something. And there's nothing um, you can do with it. No, except sell the player on, having ruined its career. But the soul of the team has has to have the, the souls that make it up in tune with the soul of the team. That's yeah, that that's right. That's the soul of another yes. team. That's yeah. exactly how it works. And it's yeah. So Spensky's, I think he's on the money here, and he's yeah, quoting other people. He's, yeah, he's, no, but he, he's, he's but quoting. He's, but he does come out and mention, you know, gives his own analogies of it. So I think I think he is. I think he's in the zone. I think he's in the zone. So let, let's have a look at what he says here when he talks about the noumenon of phenomenon mm -hmm. is the soul of a phenomenon. Uh, well, I'll just read two sentences. Therefore, we may regard the noumenon of a phenomenon as the soul of that phenomenon, i.e. the hidden soul of the, of the phenomenon is its noumenon. The concept of the soul of a phenomenon or the noumenon of a phenomenon <laughs> includes itself, well, it's very hard to read, includes within itself both life and consciousness together with their functions in sections of the world incomprehensible to us and the manifestation of those in the sphere constitutes a phenomenon. I bet you your book has fixed that and it's not so hard to read, but I think what shall I Shall I read saying, it? Shall I read it? Yes, please. Yes, please. He says in mine, let, let, just, just see if it's different. The concept of the soul of a phenomenon or the noumenon of a phenomenon includes within itself both life and rationality together with their functions in sections of the world incomprehensible to us. 
and the manifestation of those in our sphere constitutes a phenomenon. I agree. That is much clearer. That is mm. much clearer. It is, so isn't it? I knew that they would have, when I was reading that out, it was like, what the, it's like I know what he's saying, but it was so clumsy. What yeah. he's changed it to is, is very concise. In other words, that thing where we feel that the person fits into a team or is mm. not the phenomenon. It's the it's the noumenon that it's fitting it's the, to. Yeah, it's the be, it's the higher thing behind. We don't have to go and investigate. Ooh, noumenon, can I see you? Can you come out? Can you show your face? <laughs> we just have, it's enough that we understand that it's there. Okay, little baby. Little baby understands that mum will keep it safe. Doesn't have to understand why it's in danger. It doesn't have to understand what mum will do to keep it safe. It just understands that mum's there. This is how we are. The, the noumenon of the team will keep the team safe if we stay in the flow with the, with the, the team's noumenon. Mm. Boom. Exactly and you, right. And you can no. scale this up, which Uspensky does. You can keep scaling uh-huh. it up and up and up because he then starts talking about the world soul. Yeah, and that's, yeah, the idea of an animistic universe leads mm-hmm. invariably to the idea of a world soul, a being whose manifestation is this visible universe. So mm-hmm. the phenomenon is this visible universe. I don't want to go through and the Bhagavad Gita. I just no, don't. I do not there's want a, to a, go it does, it doesn't, It's interesting, but it doesn't add to that idea. That idea is, a, is on point in itself. The idea of a world yeah. soul and then the souls of stars. So, for example, the sun will be the noumenon of the solar system. It, it will contain within it the noumenon of the whole solar system. The world only needs to know its relationship to the, the uh, let's, what, what shall we call it, the beings within it that it's created, that it's responsible for. So the world is responsible for us. It's responsible for the oceans, rivers, us, mountains, animals, plants, insects, everything. Geology, the whole thing. This, the world is responsible for all that doesn't it, it will possibly be aware of the sun in fact i i'm i'm prepared to suggest that it's more than possibly aware of the sun but it doesn't have to be uh, aware of other planets does it necessarily but i think potentially it could feel that other planets are out there without necessarily probably only where the other planets will intersect with its existence when you read uh, Worlds in Collision, you'll find time when the Earth certainly had to be aware of the other planets and was. Okay, so basically the, the whole is aware of the components and if it is a component, it is not necessarily aware of the whole. That's, that's where we're coming to. Yeah, but components also can be aware of other components within that system. Yes. So, we, so I'm aware of you. For example, mm, here we are talking. Yeah. I'm aware of you. So, what's the point that Aspensky is making here? Is it that uh, once you become a component, you can't necessarily be guaranteed to be aware of other components? Like, if the world is is part of the solar system, I'm aware of you. We're components, aware mm. of each other. Why would the world not be aware of another planet if that's that? If you extrapolated that. It would, it could be aware of another planet, I've said, but it would only matter to it uh, if the planet was going to affect it. It could be aware of things on its own level. Okay, so okay. With, with it on the Earth, every living thing, let's just say living things, I mean, we mean everything. I think I've seen living thing, yeah. yeah, can be aware of other living things in, in that level. In, within the solar system, a world is aware of all of its, the things that are below it on its own, in its own yep. system. But it can be aware of other systems. But yes, like you're saying, uh, if, if I didn't know uh, Janet King who lives in India, which I don't know a Janet King who lives in India, there might be one, but it is that's another component, but I'm not aware of it. Similarly, no. with the, the Earth may not be aware of Pluto because it never has to be aware of Pluto. That's right, yeah. <laughs> it, might, it, it might never need to. It might, it might say, oh, yeah, I understand that there's a Pluto out there, but huh, so what? Saturn told me. Yeah, Saturn told me on the way past. Yeah. That's right, and, I, and frankly, I didn't care. It didn't bother me. Yeah, as long as, long as it doesn't get in my way, I'll continue doing what I'm doing. <laughs> yeah. But that giant comet that is heading right for me again, I need to be a bit more aware of that because 
Yes, oh, I need to oh do dear. something with that or brace myself oh at dear. least. <laughs> yeah. That's right. Hang yeah. on, kids, and uh, let's see how this works out for us. <laughs> and look at all my components running around like mad things pointing at it as it, gets, as it comes closer. Oh, it's, oh dear. Uh, I, I, didn't, I didn't prepare well enough and now most of my components are dead. Thank God some of them yes. are alive. I didn't want to have to start from scratch. So this idea of this hierarchical nature of, of existence, if you were to do any investigation into magical systems, um, you know, ceremonial magical systems, really technical magical systems, and, and the Kabbalah, for example, uh, you'd, you'd find this all the time. This isn't new stuff. I mean, Mr. Spensky and, and even Helena Blavatsky you know, these are not the inventors or the developers of a system. This has been here for millions of years. It's like, you know, the idea that the sun is the governing intelligence of the solar system. And I use that phrase precisely, the governing intelligence. In other, th in other words, what happens in the solar system is what the sun wants to happen. And then, galactically, the sun is, is responsible to the noumenon of the galaxy, the governing intelligence of, of all star systems within a galaxy is the, the soul of the galaxy itself. And beyond that is the universe. And then beyond that, whatever there is beyond a universe, if, if there's anything at all, there might be limitless universes, etc., etc., etc. So you, you go on. So I don't know if you want to discuss venture at all. Um, I think Spensky is just using him to to keep backing up this this concept of the orders of things being a hierarchical. Well, I I don't need us to go through everything, but there is a section of Fincher, um, which you know he Spensky uh, is like referring back to him, uh, and he he says something that I think is interesting for, from the point of view of where we've been, what we've been discussing. So, look, Uspensky talks, when, you know, in relation to Fincher, um, about this idea of the, the world, the world's soul, you know, and he says, no one, no one sense in its separate estate knows anything. So the Earth's soul traces relations between the contents of my mind and the contents of yours, of which neither of our separate minds is conscious. Now, this is where we're starting to get into something very interesting about what's important about the noumena of the thing that's higher than us in the hierarchy. So what he's saying is that unless we are telepathic, I have absolutely no way of knowing what you're thinking, and you have no way of knowing what I'm thinking, but the world knows what both of us are thinking, and the world knows how our seemingly separate thoughts relate to the whole of the the world and its existence but interestingly it also means it also gives us the idea that the world isn't the world isn't just this blob sitting there and we are running around on the surface it's taking an interest in its creation it's monitoring it's drawing the experience in other words, it created us so that it would have an experience. Yes. And, and now it's drawing that experience to itself. The experience of everything, and I mean everything, plants, animals, insects, minerals, everything. The experience of everything is all drawn into this noumena of the world's soul. The sun, at the centre of the solar system, has this understanding of the world soul. So... The sun then understands everything that's going on in the world. It's a bigger thing. It can take more in and so on. And it also does the same for all of the other planets. The galaxy, the soul of the galaxy knows every star and the understanding and the experience of every star. So the galaxy has our individual experience as human beings, plants, animals and so on on this planet. But it also takes the experience of every planet in our solar system and every solar system within its galactic sphere. How does that grab you? That, that is amazing. That, is, that explains the whole purpose of everything. It's just to, to hierarchically up to this one yeah. big experience. But if we're here to have an experience, 
so that the earth can understand that experience, yeah? Then tell me again, what the bloody hell is the point of sitting here desperately trying to raise your vibration or ascend? The earth is probably going, oh God, not another one trying to do. Can't you go out and do something? Can't you go and explore a forest or, or you know? You need to do that because I'd like to experience that, you know? I, I, I already know about the other. I'm, I'm good with that. Yeah, you know the bit you're trying to get to? I'm already there! You know? Yeah, I've got that bit. Play yeah, the trombone got, the way you're yeah, supposed to. You're supposed to play. <laughs> yeah, for God. But that, see, that's, this is, now this, now, see, this is where we're getting to something that uh, I, I think does make the idea of the, ex, the human experience important. It gives purpose to us. We've been yes. created to feed back an experience that the higher thing can't have on its own. It it needs other things to have these experiences. So it has to create a concept of time, of linear motion, and so on and so on and so on, so that it can have experiences that in stasis it can't have. Obviously, this will go back to infinity. At some point, the hierarchy hits the top of the pyramid where there is only one, and we hit infinity. We can start talking about God here, and my goodness, in this chapter, we're going to go on to that right now, where, where, where we are. So, Fechner likens our individual persons on the earth unto so many sense organs of the earth's soul. I love this. So, we as individuals have sight, hearing, smell, touch, taste. Those are our sense organs. The earth has us for its sense organs. Oh, Wow. So we're having, we are, we are feeding back experience to the earth. Do you not love that? This is where, I to me, this is where, this is where Uspensky is really coming into his own. Those first chapters that I hated. Forget that. This is where, <laughs> this is where he starts coming alive. Well, he has done for the last few chapters, actually, but, uh, you know, yeah, this, yeah, this, is, this, this is, this is stuff that now you can look at this and it, it allows you to think, oh my God, I need to be doing something with this life. I need to be feeding back an experience that's more than just dull boredom. Which for me says, you know those experiences that you have are very intense and terrible, uh, like, you know, say my divorce for me was that. But in it, but now looking back, it, it's, it was just an experience without, you know, going mm. through it. But, but maybe that, that whole thing wasn't, terrible or not terrible it just was that experience and it was well, my the, job down here yeah, to experience and, that for the earth and, and the and the earth needs people to take one for the team and become accountants <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Pete, i'm sure your accountant will not be happy to hear you say this <laughs> but he'd take one for the team for you and do your accounting for you because well, we don't yeah, all want to do the same thing either, do we? We don't well, all want to do the same thing. Well, we don't want to be thing. the same experience. We, you know, we if we believe in the the Western civilization existence, you know, family, nuclear family, two point four kids, a house, mortgage, mortgage eventually gets paid off, children, grandchildren, the whole bloody thing, and and the whole cycle goes around again and again. I can imagine that the Earth, is, at some point, is if it if it thinks like we do, thinking, can somebody stop this nonsense? I liked it better when you were all hunter gatherers going out having these experiences. Although you know some of the experiences you're having with technology, interesting. But no, I look. I, I, it's it's just it's just funny that the idea of an accountant would. Who needs one? Other than a society, the society that we've we've been programmed into creating, before in the Middle Ages and beyond, uh, let's let's say Europe, and we go back to the time of um, I know the Viking invasions of Britain. I'm because I'm in Britain. I'll we'll do it from that point of view. But you know, Saxon the Saxon hegemony, and and then the Viking invasion, and then the Norman invasion. At that time, the last thing on earth anybody wanted was an accountant. And guess what? The world, the world turned. The world turned and people got things done and they, they had experiences. Okay, some of them were enslaved and that might not have been such an exciting experience, but it was a hell of an experience. 
Maybe it's like this, Pete. If we are the senses of the world yeah. of the earth, if we are the senses, then it's like maybe accountants are Brussels sprouts and other I like people. Brussels sprouts. Other, other, yes, well, other, other uh, like maybe uh, other professions are different tastes. In other words, so they're all yeah. they're all good in their own space. You wouldn't eat Brussels sprouts every day, but you you do like them with your roast. Uh, whereas you know the the corn or the whatever else you'll have with the different meals in you know, a stir fry or whatever. So maybe that's the whole point. You've got to have a bit of yeah. variety. I think rock stars are strawberry ice cream. Yeah, yeah, with nuts and maybe yeah. bananas. Oh, yeah, that's that's the one. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the whole thing. It's not all about having the same thing. No, it's not. No, I agree with I agree with that. But I'm just saying that we have a system that's almost become static in a way. It because has, yes. And that's, we're pro, we're that's programmed the to accept certain things and we're programmed to do things certain ways and not to do th- certain things and it's regimented. So I think from the Earth's point of view, it's like, yes, uh, the Earth could easily say, well, you know, I've had... I've had the experience of accountancy now, you know, left a bit of a bitter taste, uh, but why are so many of you uh, finding it necessary? Why have you, why have you human creatures on my planet all decided to, to have this group experience of a programmed society? Economic man. Yeah. Why have you all become economic man, you boring gits? I liked it better when you were hunter-gatherers riding the plains. Or the step, or or going down the Amazon, or whatever. But my God, my God, and you, and then, and then God, you, you all go out, you all go out and work. You do this thing called work, which I never told you to do, but uh, you know, because I don't tell you to do anything. You can have your experience, and then you come back to the little boxes that you use for shelter, and you sit in front of some technology, mesmerized. What do you think that is for me? I'm not enjoying that at all. Now, obviously. I'm now anthrop- I'm anthropomorphizing the world, and I, I shouldn't be doing it. But I do I do feel that we ought to, if we are the sense organs of the world, then we ought to be trying to find a better taste or a better scent or a better sight than the one we see. And that's where making things you want that we talked earlier in the chapter about desire. You know that mm-hmm. desire you have is that driving force. Well, pay attention yeah. to it. Yeah, well, most Use the don't. desire to create something different. Yeah. Step out of the uh, program and, and think about something different, maybe. Yeah, quite right. Totally agree. Couldn't agree more. But I think we all have we all have that desire to do something differently, but very few get up and do it. That's the difference. Spensky, when he's talking about this, and he says, like, you know, about us being the sense receptors for the world, he goes on and says... We add to its perceptive life. It absorbs our perceptions into its larger sphere of knowledge and combines them with the other data there. The memories and conceptual relations that have spun themselves around the perception of a certain person remain in the larger earth life as distinct as ever and form new relations. You know, and if you want to read Fechner's book, Zenda Vesta, I haven't, uh, but I might look that up because Fechner's ideas resonate with me, and the way that Ruspensky has, has just put them. And I like how Ruspensky ends this chapter, and he says, Logically, we must either recognize life and rationality in everything, in all supposedly dead nature, or deny them completely, even in ourselves. Boom! It's either one or the other. Either everything, either everything has this this um, sense perception that it's feeding back into the earth, or nothing does. That that's a nice sum up. That is, yeah. That's the end of chapter seventeen. 17. I think I think it's been a good chapter. Oh, I do. I've enjoyed I've enjoyed it immeasurably. I mean, the next chapter when we come on to eighteen. Um, no spoiler here, but j- just to say. It takes this a step further now. We've been talking about our five senses, you know, sight, hearing, touch, taste, smell, whatever, um, as as being our receptors. And then what we what we get from all of those sense organs, we become a sense org, a whole sense, a holistic sense organ that we feed back to the world. 
but he takes it a step further now and he starts talking in chapter 18 which we're going to come on to as emotions as new sense receptors as set as sense receptors in their own right so so we feed back our emotional response as well oh my this this starts getting really really deep and wonderful and interesting yeah so now we start talking about aesthetics and art and beauty and so on as well and 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 what other forms the effect that they have on us oh it's yeah i'm looking forward to 18 yeah me too i i look i think this book just gets better and better the the more especially hit his stride he's really hit his stride so look thanks so much pete for uh again a rollicking good discussion on this yeah, chapter and, uh, and i really look fab. forward to chapter 18 yeah, I'm me, me too. I'm, I'm very much looking forward to it. So thanks again, Alice, for having me on this podcast. And uh, I've enjoyed it a lot. It's good. My pleasure. My pleasure. And thanks, everybody else, for listening. We look forward to your company for Chapter 18.